0: So, um, nothing like a sermon from Ecclesiastes to (laughs) get you energized and excited about life. Um, So, if you are new, we are uh, in our third week uh, in our study of Ecclesiastes, and if you've read this book, uh, you're familiar with the fact that there is a lot of angst that this book wrestles with. It is shot through with a lot of uh, anger, frustration, uh, pain, uh, sorrow. But underneath all of that angst, we find a very real longing, a real desire for something that gives our lives weight and meaning and purpose. The, The author of Ecclesiastes is after a lasting and real sense of joy. And what we get a glimpse into is a man grasping at different things that he believes is going to grant him a sense of depth and meaning and purpose and joy in life. We all have this longing and desire. We don't want to believe that our lives are shallow. And we don't want to believe that we're just kind of like scarecrows, that what gives life and and, and weight and substance to to us is nothing more than hollow straw. We want to believe that there is more to who we are and what life offers. And... If we give ourselves a moment of reflective honesty, the problem is is we recognize that there's a lot of brokenness and pain that we're dealing with, but then so much of life seems to frustrate our pursuit of joy and meaning and purpose. So many things seem to counteract what we're after, and so we can get caught in this sort of cycle of frustration. And so we run very hard after things we think will fix what is broken. We run hard after things that we hope will fill us with the sense of weight and meaning and that we're no longer shallow. Uh, We run hard after joy, but how often is that running broken? And so last week we talked about how we chase after knowledge and wisdom as the means to fix what is broken in us. We think if we just know enough, If I just have the right amount of information, if I'm just smart enough, if I can just figure out whatever the problem is, then I can fix what's broken in me and what's broken in our world. But when we're honest, we know that that is a failed pursuit on a number of levels, because even in all of our intelligence, all of our smarts, all of our wisdom, we cannot fix what is broken, or in the language of Ecclesiastes, we cannot make straight what is crooked, And this morning, we're going to turn our attention to something else, kind of several interconnected things that we can also run after in order to try to find a sense of meaning and purpose and joy, and that is work and the success and gain that comes through work. And so in the verses that were read, we heard some angst about toil and work and this desire to find meaning and purpose and gain in what I do, but then to experience a lot of frustration. I mean, we consider how much of our lives are wrapped up in our work. This is an incredible pain point for a lot of us. I mean, most of you, you're going to get up tomorrow morning and start your work week and you sort of orient your whole week around that. Others of you in here, you are in school in order to go pursue a career and a job that you think is going to give you a sense of fulfillment. And some of you, you dream about the day you graduate from high school and go off to college and graduate from college and get that job that you really, really want. So, so much of our being and so much of our thought is given towards work, How many of our conversations during the week with our friends, with our neighbors, in our gospel communities is around work? I mean, have you ever purposely tried to avoid talking about work for an extended period of time? I dare you, when you go to gospel community this week, if you're in a GC, try not to talk about work. Well, I'm going to force you to talk about work with our questions, but do it next week. Try not to talk about work. See how long you can last. It's an incredibly difficult thing just because it's so much of who we are. So let me ask you, as you think about work, and, and when I talk about work, I'm, I'm not just, largely this has to do with sort of the nine-to-five job or the career, but this also applies to whatever work God has given you. So moms, if you're staying at home, that is work that God has given to you. Students, those of you who are in school, that is the work God has given you. So we can apply this really to any work. But let me ask you, what informs your work When you get out of bed and do your job, go to the work God has given to you, what's driving you? What's compelling you? What's underneath why you do what you do? Is it financial reasons? Is it this sense of a Midwestern work ethic? Perhaps there is a real sense of purpose driving what you do, and you really love your job. And so let me ask another question. What is your expectation of what work is going to do? And what is your expectation of what work is going to give to your life and the value add that it's going to give to your life? Is is work something that you're pursuing because it is a good gift that God has given and being part of being made in the image of God means that we run after work? Or are you expecting work to fix something? Are you expecting work to make you feel something and experience something that work was never intended to do? And so that's where we're going to look at this morning. We need to ask ourselves a question Are we looking to work and success and the gain that comes with work to fix what is broken in us? Do we want the wages of our work, so to speak? to be a sense of weight and meaning and purpose and joy that will override all of the pain and brokenness we feel? Is that what we want out of work? Because if that is the case, if we expect that to be the wages of our work, well, we're all working, but none of us are going to get paid. And so as God's word in Ecclesiastes is going to challenge us this morning, And this recipe for frustration and failure actually points us to something good and something deeper. And so let's let God's word reorient us this morning. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just very briefly talk about just work. Um, Just spend a couple minutes like considering what work is and why, why we work, why are we wired to work. So we have to start with Genesis 128 The beginning, when God creates humanity, he creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them a garden to cultivate and to work and to develop and take care of. And and what's mind-blowing is that all of the potentialities of civilization and technology and science and literature and art and, and all the things that we have created over the thousands and thousands and thousands of years, all of those potentialities were right there in the garden. And God said, Here, here's my creation. Take that and cultivate that and pull out all that I have embedded into creation and work. And so, our work, just like Adam and Eve's, is the ongoing cultivation and developing of what God has created. And so, in our specific jobs and vocations, God has given us a piece of creation and said, Hey, cultivate this, take care of it, work. And so we need to understand, we always need to start with this reality, work is good and it is noble. It is a gift from God. It happened before sin even entered into the picture. So work is not a result of sin. Work is a gift. Work is a good thing. And so our wiring to work is a very, very good thing that we should never run from. If we have a resistance to work, if we're lazy, that is wrong. That is sinful. That, that is something that is broken in us. We, we should want to work. And, and let me also be clear, when I say work, I mean all honest work. I don't just mean work that requires a college degree and a fancy office. I mean any work that is honest, is God-honoring and valuable and noble. And so we need to, we need to crush the hierarchy of my job is cooler and better and more noble than yours. Yeah, some jobs, there, there, there are qualitative differences in some of our jobs, but that doesn't mean that the nobility of other jobs is stripped away. And so we need to value all work. And so it is good to create and build and cultivate and develop and serve through our work. It is good to produce through our work. And how good does it feel when we do these things? I and mean, we, we resonate with the sense of a job well done, a good, hard, honest days of work. That is, that is a good gift that God has given us. And when God gave us work, he put it in its right priority. See, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. You and I are made in the image of God, and that's our identity. And work is a reflection of being made in the image of God. God is a God who works. God is a God who builds and develops and cultivates. And so being made in his image means we reflect that. And so Adam and Eve, when they were given a job to do, God was essentially saying, hey, I'm inviting you into sharing my work of cultivating creation. I'm at work in creation. Join me in that. And that was part of their identity being made in the image of God. And this is the important piece. Work was intended to flow from that identity, not give them an identity. That's a very important piece. Adam and Eve already had the identity. They already had the relationship. They already had things in order for them. Their sense of worth and meaning and purpose came from their connection to God. And out of that connection, they worked. They were joining in what God was doing. It wasn't vice versa. God didn't say, hey, you need to find meaning and purpose and value. And so here's a job to do. Run at that. And if you do it well enough, boom, you'll have an identity. No, when God created work, He intended it to be an outflow of an identity that He had already given to us. And this is, this is the beautiful thing about work. This is a way that we experience relationship. we were intended to experience relationship with God, because God gave us this responsibility and joined him in work. and in, in our work, we experience what it is like to be like God. And so there's a very important relational connection there. And in our work, we are intended to spread the glory of God. As the garden grew and developed and was cultivated, the glory of God to continue to spread more and more. The extent of his goodness was put more and more on display. And so work is a significant way that we glorify God. We experience relationship with God. This is what it was intended to be. And so I can't stress this enough. That it is God who gave our souls weight and meaning and purpose and lasting joy and our work was intended to flow from this relationship. And here's a very clear and simple way God demonstrated this right out of the gun. Rest, Sabbath. God ordered our universe, he ordered our work week so that we take a day off. And you know what that is? That's not just to rest and recharge, as important as that is. That's to signify, hey, my identity isn't in my work. I'm not in control. And so I'm going to take a day and step back and rest in the one who is in control. I'm going to rest in the one who does give me an identity and tell myself, this isn't my identity. This isn't the thing that I find hope and joy in. It's one of the blessings of Sabbath, that if you don't take one, you miss. And so here we have a picture in Genesis of a proper motivation and meaning for work but (laughs) even though we can be incredibly optimistic and we can see all of the good in this picture the reality is is that now for us work is broken work is one of the most significant spots we experience pain and sin on a daily basis we invest all of this time and money and energy and education into getting a job, and it still stinks sometimes, maybe a lot of times. It's still really, really hard. It's, there's toil, and there's brokenness, and there's frustration in it. I mean, there's a reason why TV shows like The Office and movies like Office Space resonate with us, because we've all had those experiences of very broken workplaces, And so while work was intended to be a beautiful gift, it has become something very broken and painful. And so we see this in Genesis 3, one of the curses of rebelling against God when we decided, hey, God, we're not gonna find our identity. We're not gonna find our sense of right and wrong. We're not gonna find our sense of of goodness and beauty and truth in you. We're gonna take it and do it ourselves. Well, then work became broken, and shot through with sin and toil and frustration. We turn something good into something very wicked. And God cursed the earth. He cursed our work. And so we see in Genesis where a beautiful crop of food should be, there was going to be thorns and thistles. Where there was supposed to be production and flourishing, man, stuff breaks down. Things don't happen as we want. We, we work for weeks and weeks on a project and it doesn't turn out the way we hope. The best efforts of our hands, things fall apart. Things are broken. And so while work is still an inherently good thing, while we still do experience productivity and good results, man, it is so shot through with pain and suffering. And what's more, instead of working out of the identity God's given us, now we work to find an identity we we work to try to find something to fill us i'm going to look to my work to give me a sense of meaning and purpose and identity and and do you see the disconnect there like when you try to find your identity and meaning and purpose in something that is so shot through with frustration and pain and sin what kind of identity are you building what kind of hope are you building this is a recipe for frustration Instead of finding the freedom and the joy of working out of an identity that brings God glory and brings us a sense of deep relationship with him, man, now we work for our own glory. We bust our rear ends trying to build our own kingdoms, and we work, and we work, and we work, and we overwork, and we wreck ourselves trying to build an identity in what we do. And so sin has done a lot of damage. And we see the effects of the damage in Ecclesiastes 5. And so just just to kind of highlight some of the things that the preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, begins to lament. In verses 10 through 12, he writes, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Here's a great summary of what the preacher is saying from the great rapper Biggie Smalls. Mo money, mo problems. (laughs) When you seek identity, when you seek a sense of fixing what is broken in you through your work and the, the success and gain from that work, what you think is actually bringing you freedom, what does it do? It adds to your stresses, it adds to the pain. The more stuff you have, the more you have to keep that stuff and protect that stuff and deal with the anxiety. The more money and things you have, the more bills you have. And so we understand this. I'm not, not saying that responsibility is something we should push away, but just saying that if we think this is going to bring us peace, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says you're fooling yourself. You're actually adding to your stress. You're adding to the brokenness. You're adding to the things that are going to cause anxiety and restlessness and worry. And so if you're expecting your identity to find a sense of stability, if you're trying to find something that's going to fix what is broken in you, well, chasing after that through work and wealth is a a recipe for disaster. There's not freedom here. It's just adding to the pain and the brokenness. And then he continues on in verses 13 and 14. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And so you have the picture of the guy who does everything he can to keep his wealth. He does everything he can to protect his wealth and protect what he has earned, and then he makes one bad decision and it's all gone. And so there's this sense of, hey, you you can try as hard as you might, to protect the gain of work and the success of work. But guess what? You can't control everything. And at some point, it may slip away. And if, if you recognize that, if you, you have a sense of the lack of control that you really have, it can drive you to try to grab for more control. And what does that get you? More and more anxiety. And then... We also recognize, as the preacher points out in verses 15 and 16, that ultimately our enjoyment of whatever we gain through our work is going to be limited because we're going to die. Like at some point, there's a shelf life of all the benefits, all the the great things that wealth and work can give us. At some point, we have to let it go because we're going to die. This is what he writes in verses 15 and 16. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? If your whole life is built around working for something that you ultimately cannot keep, it's like chasing after the wind because you can't ever grab the wind, right? And if you can't hold on to that stuff, well, then it doesn't make any sense to make it the thing that is going to ground your meaning and your purpose and your sense of lasting joy. Back in chapter two, verses 18 through 23, we, we see something very similar. This is what he writes. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Hey, here's something that's kind of humbling. And especially speaking to men. Like in our jobs, like it's good to want to progress in your career. It's really good to want to grow and, and to develop. But here's a scary thought. You know, all that work and you spend you know, 40, 50 years investing in a career, the work that you leave behind is going to get passed on to somebody else, and they may be a fool with what they do with what you've built. Everything that you have maybe invested in in 40 and 50 years could be undone by the foolish guy who comes after you. That's a sobering thought. That should humble us to think, is, is that the thing that is giving me my identity? Is that the thing that I put my hope in? If it could be all undone by a fool who comes after me. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. Someone else is gonna be master of everything that I've done. This is vanity. This, this points to the fact that it's not my work does not have this permanence to it. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. How about that? Someone is gonna benefit from the work you have done. They're gonna, they're gonna stand on your shoulders. Now, and to some degree, that's a good thing. But to some degree, that's also a frustrating thing. Someone is going to get credit and benefit to the work that you have done. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. The effects and gain of work are fleeting. Now, this also, you you don't necessarily even have to go to wealth here. Like career-wise, you, you, you recognize that even if you go on this great career trajectory, that's limited in time, that's limited in scope. Someday you have to stop working. Someday all of the renown and all of the, the, the status, everything that you gained out of that, even if it's not wealth and material uh, possessions, someday you're going to have to let go of it. Someday you're going to have to give it up. Someday it's not going to be the thing that is sticking to you and everybody is seeing you through that lens see, building our identity, building our sense of meaning and purpose in our work is a fleeting, fleeting, fleeting cause because someday all of that leaves us. And so there must be something that lasts longer. There must be something deeper and more profound about us and about our identity than something that will pass away. But if we don't learn this, if we, if we keep grinding it out, if we keep trying to just work harder and harder and grab more and more and think our work is going to give us the sense of meaning and identity, well, here's where we end up in verse 17. All his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. It's this picture of a guy sitting by himself in a dark room, mad that he can't hold on to everything. Bitter that he can't hold on to everything frustrated realizing he actually failed trying to build his identity around his work and his material possessions and his success. And how many of us live this way? We're wound up, low-level anger workaholics trying to grab an identity out of our work. And the way God has designed this to work is that it doesn't work. And so we're frustrated. And as we said last week, if we don't come to the end of ourselves, we're never going to experience the freedom God intends. Yes, we should work hard. Yes, we should be diligent. But diligent for what reason? Diligent to what end? Diligent with what expectation? And so we need to see work as a gift. Work is a wonderful gift. But to borrow an expression from last week, Work is a wonderful gift, but it is no savior. Work is a wonderful gift, but it is a horrible master. It is a master that offers no freedom, no rest, no reprieve, no hope. It just demands more and more and more out of you. It is no savior because it cannot make straight what is crooked. It cannot fix what is broken. And so if you're running to it, to be your Savior, you're going to be bitterly disappointed. If you've submitted yourself to it as your Master, oh, that is a horrible burden to submit yourself under. There is a far greater Master, a far greater Savior than our work. See, Jesus Christ, the, the, the real Master and Savior, He gives work as a gift, He gives work for a joy. He gives work as a way to experience life with him. He gives work for us to experience what it means to be a human being. And so work is meant to be enjoyed. Let's make no mistake. We see this in verses 18 and 19 in chapter five. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot, We're meant to work. We're meant to find enjoyment. We're meant to engage in work that brings a sense of satisfaction and joy. This is what it means to be human. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So whether you're a Christian or not, if you enjoy your work in any way, shape, or form, that is God's gift to you. That is God's grace to you. And so understand that right off the bat, your enjoyment in work is a gift. And that enjoyment in work is meant to point something out. It's meant to point out that there's something beyond your work that actually brings a deeper sense of joy. It's meant to point you beyond your work as the thing itself into something greater. And so church... We should work hard and we should find enjoyment. We should pursue jobs. We should pursue meaningful work. We should look for things that do bring us joy in our work. And we should work hard. We should not be lazy. But the enjoyment we experience, let it push us past the thing itself into something deeper. But let's also understand this however much we may enjoy our work, it has its limits. It has its limits. Work is broken, and it will be until Christ restores it and fixes it, even in the best jobs. Even if, if you absolutely love your job and can't wait to get out of bed every morning and run to your job, even then, if you're honest, you recognize there's brokenness in that, and there's frustration in that, and there's toil in that. And so we, we need to recognize that we cannot expect work to just magically not be hard. And we should actually embrace hard work. We should embrace it as a means to deepen our walk with God, to understand and recognize that this world is broken and that our hope is not in our work and that Jesus is one day going to fix that. And so when you experience pain and brokenness in your work, let that be a reminder to you, this is not my savior. This is not my master. This, this is meant to drive me to my savior and my master. This is meant to remind me where my true hope and true joy and true meaning and purpose are found. And so if you take this a little bit deeper, what this means is in Jesus Christ, when you come to Jesus Christ, when you let go of your sin and your rebellion and you enter into relationship with Christ, what this means is that your identity has been restored and that you can work out of your identity not to gain an identity when you work to try to gain an identity and gain a sense of hope, then your identity and your hope are only as good as your performance. It's only as stable as your performance. It's only as stable as that job. But if your identity is in Jesus Christ. If you have been set free from sin and selfishness and running after an identity and work and pleasure and knowledge and whatever, all those other things else we chase after, when your identity has been properly restored, then your work can be something that is a joy, even in the midst of pain and trial and frustration and hardship. It can be a joy because you're in connection with the Lord. You're attached to the one who brings joy. And you learn what it means to find joy in the midst of brokenness and pain. And so what the frustration that the preacher in Ecclesiastes should reveal to us is that the brokenness of work is never going to fix the pain in us. And that in running to Jesus Christ, We're going to find freedom. And that was a very sloppy way to put it. But understand this. We have to come to the end of ourselves before we start to experience this. We have to stop being the workaholic, grind it out. If I just get a little more, if I just progress a little bit more, then I'm going to be happy. I'm going to fix what's broken. I'm not going to be as frustrated. I'm not going to be as locked up in life. When we run to Jesus Christ and find our freedom there, it doesn't magically make the pain go away. It doesn't magically make work f- easy and fun and not a problem. But it means we can actually experience life and freedom in the midst of that. And it means that we don't have to put all of our hope in identity and identity in work. And so, church, I want us to work hard. I want us to be a church that values sacrifice and serving and creating and cultivating and making this city and our region and this world a better place through our work. There's so much that God has given us to do. In so many ways, he wants to work and advance his kingdom through your work in your jobs. You're not just in your job so you can evangelize your coworkers. As much as that is awesome, your work actually matters in and of itself. But we need to do this out of our identity. We, we need to let go of trying to build our own status and our own success in our job, in our education, in our success, in the stuff that we've gained. Let's work out of a sense of freedom. Let's work out of a sense of knowing God and serving God and working because Christ has given us this good gift of work. And so let's let the book of Ecclesiastes, let's be honest with the pain that it expresses. Let's let's invite that into our own experience and let's let it correct us. Let's feel it for a moment. And then let's run to Jesus. Let's find our hope and our identity in Jesus. And then let's go and get to work. Amen.